This sermon was recorded at the Church of Christ, Northwest Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth, according to the New Testament. Come worship with us Sunday mornings at 1030 at 1708 Elm Springs Road in Springdale, Arkansas. We're talking about the qualifications of an elder and, and deacon and the idea of leadership in the church. But to talk about those things, we need to understand uh, we need to understand how to use PowerPoint, apparently. Let me, let, me get, let me get this set up here. There we go. Uh, I think it's important to read the passage now, and, uh, and I wanted to kind of uh, set things up and explain kind of where we've been so far, what we've talked about, and make these connections. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, we, we read the qualifications of a bishop, uh, someone who would be appointed to the position of elder. Here's the qualities that a man must have. A bishop must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt or able to teach, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous, one that ruleth his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? And so what we've done is, is in this series is began with you, looking at you as an individual. Now there's things that apply to uh, Christians in general as we talk about being the kind of person that is blameless and vigilant and sober, the, the qualities that are mentioned here, it really starts with you and your conduct and your behavior. So, so man, I hope, I hope we're, we're getting that and seeing that. That's why we started with the two basic questions. Do you believe in Christ in the first place? Because if you don't, this isn't going to mean anything. And do you believe in his word? If you don't, this isn't going to mean anything. And, and if your answer was, yes, I believe in Christ, and yes, I believe in his word, then that means we're going to live as disciples of Christ. And this would mean that we're living and striving to exhibit these qualities and have these qualities in our life. And not just check off something and say, okay, I was blameless. Okay, I, was, I have good behavior. Okay. No, it's a way of life that you embrace because you're a disciple of Jesus and you're really striving to live to this high standard. So it begins with you. Now, the next layer we're moving on to, now that we've examined those two questions and we've looked at, at the idea of discipleship, is another part of this passage. He says, you know, he identifies you must be a husband. You must be a husband. Uh, and one that rules his own house. So now we're moving beyond just yourself and looking at this next relationship of you and your wife. Uh, so it's important to understand, and that's what we're going to talk about this morning, is this next circle of, of uh, your relationship with your spouse. Um, and then it goes on from there. We'll look at the next thing of, of being a father. He says one that rules his own house having his children in subjection with all gravity. So the relationship you have with your children is also at play when you're talking about uh, someone who's going to be selected to be a leader, an elder, of, or even a deacon of a congregation. These qualifications, there are some similarities here, although there are some distinctions. Uh, and then it leads up to this big idea that, that the apostle lays out here for Timothy. If a man does not know how to rule his own house, that includes ruling your own self, your own heart, that includes being the kind of man and husband you need to be, being the kind of father you need to be. If you can't do that, how can you take care of the church? And the question, and the answer is you can't. If, if you don't start with you and your personal discipleship and you are uh, making sure you're living in, in faith of Christ and the scriptures and actually carrying those things out in your own life and letting that impact the way you view yourself as a husband and, and the things we're going to talk about this morning and the way you are as a father, you're, you're going to carry those habits into the church as a leader. And so you must be a good man. You must be a good husband. You must be a good father if you're going to be a good leader in the church. Um, and so that's the progression we're taking and the progression we're looking at here. And that's why it's so important to have started with looking at you first. And today, as I mentioned, we're going to look at how to have a godly marriage and how to be the kind of husband. And, and even we'll, we'll examine wives as well because it is critical for a husband to have a certain kind of wife. Uh, if you're going to be a leader in, in the church. So let's look at the origins of mar marriage in the first place. Um, marriage is something that God created and God ordained. Um, so you need to understand the responsibility that you have as a husband. And we'll start with here, Genesis chapter 2, 18. The Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. So when God... Uh, created Adam. He saw that he was incomplete. He was by himself. And so God said this was not a good thing. 
So he made a counterpart that would complete him. He made a counterpart that would be uh, helpful to him. And so God created Eve from Adam's rib, and when she was given to him, God ordained that the man would leave, cleave to his wife, and they would now be united as one. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 23, the Bible says, uh, when Adam looked at this uh, process, what God had done, he brought this woman to him, the wife that came from his own flesh. He said, now this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. This shows us the deep, intimate connection that he had and understood with his wife that God had gave him. It was not just a, a physical relationship, but he says, this is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. This goes much deeper. And it, it talks about, I think this uh, alludes to these, this idea of a deep connection of being one. And when you get married, when you, if you're a husband, your whole life should change. Your whole perspective should change. And your pronouns that you use should change. It's no longer just I and me and mine. It is ours. It is we. It is us. That's the new mindset that you take on because you're now bringing your two lives together into one. And you should be living and operating as one, uh, as one being. Um, your, your heart, your emotions, your body, your strengths, your weaknesses, your finances, your property, everything should come together and be united as one um, and, and express this type of connection that God established in the beginning when he made a husband and a wife. He made them to be one. He didn't make them to be two individuals pulling two different directions with different ideas and countering each other and fighting each other and pulling and in, in, in contradicting each other. He made them to be united on the same page and much more than just a mental agreement that, okay, we're, we're in agreement and we're on the same page. It is a, it is a, a physical, spiritual, and emotional oneness that, that should be had in a marriage. And this connection that God made is a picture of the unity of God and the Godhead. If you look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, when he created man in the first place, he said, God said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. And so then he creates man in his own image. In the image of God created him, male and female created he them. So it's not just Adam that was created in man's image to be the image bearer of God. And it wasn't just Eve that was created in God's image that, that uh, she was the image bearer of God and bore that responsibility. They both together bore that responsibility to be made in God's image. And so the image of God is complete and shown when you have these two lives that are coming together as one and, and living as one being. This, I hope, uh, this is just scratching the surface on these ideas and these topics, but the idea here is that marriage is a very special, very significant relationship that God created. And it does carry certain responsibilities for a man and for a wife. But this is something that is shared. This is a, a union that reflects the glory of God and, and should show the unity of the Godhead. Now, the responsibilities of a, of a husband, let's, let's focus in on that first, talking about the husband. These are not uh, popular ideas. These are not uh, in our culture. Things are, are changing, and there's very much a, a, a feminist influence in our society and has been for the past you know, uh, 30, 40, 50 years, uh, growing and increasing and changing. And those things do influence the church. They do influence us as people as we live out in the world. Uh, but we need to understand, in, in no uncertain terms, the order that God created and the way he's designed families to function and work. Paul reveals in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3, he says, I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of every woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. He lays out here the headship of, of Christ over all people and over men. He is our Lord. He is the one that we are submitting ourselves willingly to, and it's the same for, for a relationship of a husband and a wife. The woman is in subjection to her husband. He's the head of the wife. This is the order. This is the thing that God has designed. And he's appointed man to be the head. Now, this does not mean that men are better or superior to women. And I think that's sometimes the idea that is uh, taken when people who are very against this idea and this model and the quote-unquote patriarchy, um, as people have, have, have so defined, um, they take that idea and say, no, this is totally wrong. This is totally bad. And men use this to abuse uh, women, and, and there's some truth to that in, in some way. 
Um, but it, they take it to mean that men are somehow superior, and it doesn't help that men have carried this out very poorly. Uh, you know, so that that certainly doesn't help. Um, but we need to understand and know that God has placed man, a man, a husband, into a very serious role and a very serious responsibility, and it's not something we should take lightly. It's not something that we can shrug off. And I know it's really easy because in our society right now, men are just pushed aside, uh, particularly in American culture. Men are just kind of pushed aside, and it's easy. It's been made easy for us to take a back seat in the leadership of our families. And it is important that we do not let this error creep into the church. We, we cannot, as men, be the kind of man that just take a back seat, that are not taking responsibility to lead our homes, and shrug it off and just, well, my wife will take care of that. That's not the kind of mindset we need to have as men. Um, now, again, what does it mean, though? What does it mean for us to be the head of our home? What does it mean to be a leader? That's exactly what it means. You are the leader of your house. You are the, the one that is setting the tone. You are setting the pace. You are the model of, of, of what you should be doing and the model of love and righteousness in your home. Um, this idea of being the head of your wife, I do think this this mandate from God on men has been abused and is abused. Because I think guys sometimes get prideful, and some men think that being the head of your wife means to dominate her will, to lord over her, to make her some kind of a servant and her slave. And we have this macho idea of, well, my wife's here to serve what I need, and she just needs to do whatever I say. That's not manly. That's not godly. Um, it's not just her job to serve your needs although she was created to be a helper. But here's what the Bible actually says about how we as husbands ought to conduct ourselves as the head of our wife. Firstly, we need to understand uh, the idea that God gave us dominion, yes, but he gave dominion to Adam and Eve. If you look at Genesis chapter 1, 27 through 28, he says, God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. Together, both of them are made in the image of God. It's not just... Adam, and it wasn't just Eve, it was them together were created in his image. And God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and the fowl of the air and every living thing that moves upon the earth. This verse shows us that God put Adam and Eve in dominion over creation, but it does not show that Adam was put in dominion and, and told to subdue his wife, Eve. <laughs> God didn't tell men to lord over their wives as if they were our servants and their slaves. Instead, he tells us to love our wives. In, Colossians, in Colossians chapter 3, verse 19, he says, Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. This responsibility to be the head of our, our home and the leaders of our family is not supposed to be carried out in harshness. It's not supposed to be carried out in bitterness towards our families and our, and our spouse. It's supposed to be done in love. And, you know, I think sometimes the bitterness comes from the fact that, that a man might resent, come to resent his wife because they want, I want my freedom. I want to go do what I want. I want to go spend time with who I want. I want to go be interested in my hobbies. I want to go play the video games I want to play. I want to pour myself into the things that I always used to do when I wasn't married. And now all of a sudden I have this responsibility on my shoulders and I have to be married and I have to put all these things aside. And so sometimes that's frustrating to, to a man and even to a woman. It's sometimes frustrating because uh, you're trying to hold this picture in your mind of how you thought marriage was going to be. And basically it's like I can live how I wanted to and then still have this relationship with my wife, and she can just meet my physical needs and be there as a friend. And that just won't work. And so a man might grow to be resentful uh, because you haven't shifted our expectations, and we might feel constrained by marriage. And then it's like, well, it's my wife's fault. She's the problem. And that's where this, this uh, ungodly idea of treating your wife as the ball and chain comes from, because that's not right and that's not godly. Treating your wife as... Oh, the old lady, oh, I can't do all this stuff. I can't go and have this fun because I got I to gotta get home. And you're all mad and all upset because you, you can't go do the stuff you want. Um, but that's just not good. That's just not right. Um, and then kids come along, and then it gets even worse for a guy who's already resentful because now you don't have, there's, now there's even more time you don't have. You got to take care of your kids. Um, so 
man, at this point, if, if you're at this point, it is time to be honest with yourself and ask, have I adjusted my expectations to reality? Have I, expect, I adjusted my expectations to the responsibility that I have as a husband? Because it's a responsibility that you agreed to. You entered into a marriage to be one with your wife, not to live separate lives. Because when you try to be disconnected and live separate lives, you're going to get angry. You're going to get bitter about that. And uh, I know what that's like um, because I've gone through waves of that in, in, in our own marriage. And uh, sometimes it's frustrating because you just, you just want to go and do the thing you want. But you got to set that stuff aside so that you can love your wife and be not bitter against her. Because that does not make for a healthy home. That does not make for a healthy marriage. You need to carry out your responsibilities with love. And maybe you're sitting there thinking, yeah, but you don't know my wife. <laughs> She's difficult to deal with. The Bible says we ought to carry out love, and, and I think it helps us to understand what love is. First John 3, verse 18, he says, My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. The reality is that love is not a feeling. And that's, I think, sometimes where we trip ourselves up. We think that we have to have these great fuzzy feelings towards our spouse in order to show them that we love them, in order for that to qualify as love. And when that's not there, we think there's no love. And so it just starts this weird and bad cycle in our life. But love truly is, I'm going to decide to sacrifice how I feel. I'm going to decide to sacrifice what I want in favor of acting and speaking in, in ways that best serve my wife, that are in her best interest, regardless of whatever the circumstance is, regardless if she's in a bad mood that day, regardless if she's stressed out, regardless of how she's acting towards me, I'm going to make the decision to act towards her in a way that shows love. Because you absolutely have the capability as, as people in general to love, regardless of how somebody's treating you. And we as husbands have the capacity to treat our wives with love, regardless if, if we don't, regardless of if we're not receiving that love in kind. It's not, hey, love people if only if they love you and show you that, that kind of love. We're responsible to show that love regardless of what's going on around us because it's not about them, it's about you and how you respond and how you act as a husband. And so we ought to act in love if not because the scriptures tell us and command us to be the kind of people that are loving and look out for the best interests of others. Even more importantly, it's because we are supposed to be one flesh with our wife and she is a very special part of us. And we ought to take that, embrace that mindset and cherish our wives as a very special part of us because we are one and we have to be faithful to our wives in this way and look at them this way and that will change the way we think about ourselves in our marriage. Ephesians chapter 5 says, so ought men to love their wives as their own bodies because she is part of your own body. You are one flesh. You are one life. He that loves his wife loves himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but he nourishes it and he cherishes it. Men ought to be faithful in their service and their care for their wives and treat them with the same concern that we have over our own selves in our own lives. We go through a great deal of care and a great deal of devotion to, to make sure our bodies have what they need. Don't tell me we're not constantly concerned with what to wear. You know, it's kind of a funny... Uh, it's kind of a funny uh, stereotype of, of women being concerned with clothing, but guys, I know you have that favorite shirt that you get upset that you, you can't find it, or those boots or those pants or that hat. We get attached to those things, and uh, we, we want to know where that thing, where, where is that? Because I really want that, and it means something to you. And so you're concerned about what you're going to wear. We're definitely concerned about what we're going to eat. I know I am, if you couldn't tell. Um, when we get sick, the man flu is real. I'm just going to put that out there. Uh, when we get sick, we want care. We want to feel better. We want to get medicine. We want to get the things we need. If we get hurt, we're going to, if, you know, if we get a cut on, we're going to put, uh, you know, the antiseptic spray. We're going to put bandage. We're going to try to heal that wound because we care about our bodies. We care about guarding and protecting and we keep ourselves safe and we want to make sure we're not putting in ourselves in, in situations where we're going to hurt ourselves or, or get ourselves killed, um, we're, we're guarding and protecting ourselves because 
We want to have everything we need to thrive in this life. And the reality is we need to shift our mindset and realize that now that we're one with our wife, we need to have the same level of concern for our wives and make sure she has everything she needs to thrive. Be paying attention to her needs. Be paying attention to uh, those small things like what, am I, what to wear, what to eat, you know, making sure she's taken care of when she's sick, making sure she's guarded, making sure she's protected, making sure that she's helping, you're helping her to thrive. Nourish and cherish her the way you nourish and cherish your own bodies. You know, some guys are very into fitness and health, and they go through great lengths to train and exercise and condition, and they want to keep up this body, but then their marriage just kind of doesn't get that kind of attention, doesn't get that kind of exercise, doesn't get that kind of conditioning. So nourish and cherish your, your wife as if she your, is your own body because she is. And you're doing yourself a favor if you do this. If you love your wife, it's, you're showing that you love yourself. So have some awareness that your wife is a part of you. And understand that it's your responsibility to love, to cherish, to nourish, and to provide for your wife. Now that's a big deal, and we often might think of that first as, what's our responsibility as a husband? Well, i got to be a provider. And sometimes we get trapped in the mindset of thinking that just means i got to go and get the paycheck and bring the money and give it to my family, and they can go do whatever, and I can just be disconnected and live in this my own little world and just kind of be separate from my family. Being a provider is more than about money. Uh, but some scripture, 1 Timothy 5, verse 8, it says, But if any provide not for his own, and especially those of his own house, he has denied the faith, and he's worse than an infidel. This is very serious, and I think this is where that idea was, you know, obviously where it came from, because we take it very seriously. We don't want to be a guy who's not providing, but then we just get focused in on this idea of financially providing. Um, and this verse is not talking about making money and mo making more money than your wife. Because some, some wives work, and that's a big deal for, for some men who, who have a, a dual-income family. They kind of get a chip on their shoulder or get worried or get all you know, offended or prideful because, well, my wife makes more money than I do. And, and this verse is not saying you better make sure to make more money than your wife. That's not what this verse is about. And the context of the passage, if you look at the context, he is talking about caring for Christian widows. If there is a widow and she is a Christian, you need to be sure to care for her. You need to be sure to help her uh, with her needs. And Paul is telling Timothy, if there are, especially if there are Christians who are uh, seeing their mothers or their uh grandmothers who or whoever be widows and you're not taking the steps to, to care for her and provide what she needs, that's wrong. That is sinful. But embedded in that, he says, especially those of his own house, I think that would include and, and uh, that would include your wife. She is part of your household. She is part of you. There's a clear idea of taking care of people that depend on us, and that again includes our wife. And this word provide, if you look at the meaning, it means to think ahead. It means to be considerate in advance of their, and, and it means to think about their needs and put effort into fulfilling those needs and providing those things that you are looking ahead and saying, this is what they need, and I need to provide that. And guys, I'm sorry, but this requires paying attention. <laughs> this requires paying attention to our wives. And I know it's frustrating because I get distracted really easily all the time. This is a conversation that happens in our house all the time. We have to pay attention to our wives and what they need. And uh, these are somewhat personal examples, but, but here's questions that you can ask as you look ahead and see the needs, not just financially, again, but looking at your wife and seeing the needs that she has, just acknowledging that she's got these needs, ask yourself, is she overwhelmed? Take a look at your, at your wife's life and know what's going on in her life enough to answer that question. Is she overwhelmed? Well, you can be a provider by helping her out around the house. And contrary to... to uh, the urban legends, you can pick up your clothes off the floor, guys. 
I've done it, and I'm, I'm here alive to tell you about it. I've not done it as often as I need to, but I've done it. It has happened. Um, you can ask, well, don't ask Lana about that. Um, help out around the house. It's not ungodly, and it's not like, oh, there's these other weird ideas in society, in our society, of like, oh, your man card. That's not, what is that? That, that, that's just a, a funny joke, sure. But some guys take that seriously and it's like, well, I can't do the dishes. Why? Just pitch in, just help. You live there too. So pay attention to your wife's needs. Is she overwhelmed? Well, help her out a little bit. Even more, is your wife lonely? There's a lot of lonely marriages in our world. And it's so easy because we're starving for connection we just absorb ourselves in our work, in our friends, in our phones, and we could be sitting on the couch next to each other. Lana and I have done this. You're five feet apart, but you're a thousand miles away from each other. Is your wife lonely? Well, be a provider by just being present. Just pay attention and, and practice connection with your wife. It's hard. And maybe you need to adjust your expectations about your life because you cannot live, again, you cannot live like a bachelor and be a husband. You've got to be a husband. You can ask yourself more questions. Is she parenting alone if you have kids? Is she parenting all by herself? Be a provider by stepping up and being a dad. Be a father. Spend time with your kids. Help her out. Take your responsibility seriously. Ask yourself, is my wife weak spiritually? If you don't know the answer to that question and don't know how your wife is doing spiritually, that's, these are all, if you don't know any of these questions and aren't paying enough attention to your wife to see these things, that's serious. And especially if you don't know if she's, how she's doing spiritually, you can be a provider by turning off the screens, putting down this, the, the work, clearing up your schedule, deleting things and canceling whatever you need to cancel just to sit down and open your Bible together or maybe practice praying together. I know how awkward it is. But it's absolutely critical that we look to the needs of our wife and be a provider. If we do not carry this out, if we are not looking to the needs of our wife, men, husbands, and we're neglecting those things, and we have no awareness of what our family even needs, we have denied the faith. It is sinful for us not to be aware. And, and worse, it's sinful for us to be inconsiderate about what our wife needs and not doing our best to fulfill those needs. If we don't take this responsibility up, we are, we are denying Christianity. We are not living as Christians, and we are worse than somebody who is an, an unbeliever. Think about that and take the responsibility seriously because you are ultimately responsible for your family. You are the head of the house. And you ought to be loving and caring and nourishing and pouring yourself into providing for the needs of your family. And you're responsible for spiritual care. Husbands, you have to take this role of responsibility seriously and realize some things. 1 Peter 3, verse 7, he says, Likewise, you husbands... Dwell with them according to knowledge. Dwell with your wives according to the knowledge that you've been put into a great responsibility and give honor to your wife. Give her honor. The position that you've been put into is not to belittle her, is not to make her your slave, is not to make her your servant, but it's to bring honor to her and lift her up and, and give honor to her. He says, as unto the weaker vessel, and what's the reason we have to honor our wives and, and lovingly support them in this spiritual focus because we are heirs together of the grace of life. You share in the gift of eternal life together as a husband and a wife. You're joint heirs. We stand to inherit something from Christ, the eternal life He's promised together. And as a leader of your home, you are responsible for being a disciple of Christ and living faithfully because you set the tone in your family. How you act is how your family will act. 
What you focus on are the things your family will focus on. You set the direction of where your family's headed. You should be looking for as a leader and providing what your wife needs because you're leading her, your wife, to heaven. And if we don't pay attention, we could be leading our wife to hell. Be the kind of man who takes this responsibility serious and understand that we want to be there inheriting eternal life together. It's not just about you. It's about you and your wife. And how you carry this out in your life as a man is going to show how you will be in the church and caring for, for Christ and his church. <clears throat> that's the responsibility of husbands, and we haven't scratched the surface, and there's other questions I'm sure we could, we could talk about, but I want to shift my attention now to wives, because wives, you play a critical role in the life of your husband, and especially a man who is going to be a leader in the church, somebody who's going to be an elder. Uh, just by way of example, to, to kind of give us an example to think about, when God established the priesthood, these are the leaders, the spiritual leaders of the people of Israel, and he wanted them to be holy men. He wanted them to be perfect. He wanted them to be a certain type of man. And he also gave them instructions in Leviticus 21. We won't go and read that, but that's a reference for you to check out yourself. When he established it, he says, because these men are examples of holiness and righteousness to God's people, he required them to have be a certain kind of man and to have a certain kind of wife. They needed to be holy, and they needed to be pure, and they needed to be righteous. And so... The idea of men who are leaders having a certain quality of wife is there in the scriptures, and it's absolutely true in the New Testament when you look at elders and deacons. 1 Timothy 3.11 says, Even so must their wives be grave, not slanderers, sober, faithful in all things. This is the kind of woman that you must be if your husband is going to be a leader in the church. And because he has to have a godly wife, and so what does that look like? What does it mean to be a godly wife and grave and, and, and the, a wife that embodies these kind of characteristics, faithful in all things? Well, first of all, going back to the idea that a man has been placed as a head of his wife, that means a wife needs to be in subjection to her husband. Colossians chapter 3.18, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as it is fit in the Lord. Now again, as we discuss with husbands, you are not a master over a slave. That's not a husband and wife relationship. You are partners. You are one flesh. And the responsibility of a wife is, is a submission uh, that is one of willingness, not something that you're forced into. You have to willingly submit yourself and choose to follow your husband's lead. And, and you might be thinking, yeah, but you don't know my husband. He might be difficult to deal with. Unfortunately, there are a lot of guys who are. And, and, and there's a lot of terrible situations sometimes that our sisters in the church have to deal with. First Peter admonishes us in this way and admonishes wives. He says, Likewise, you wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they may also without the word be won by the conversation of the wives, while they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear. Um, I think it's important to acknowledge that there are limits to submission. And I know that may not be popular, and some people may not like that, but I think it's true. There are limits to, to submission, and I think, I think that if a husband is ungodly and is asking his wife to do something, and if you and a wife are in a position of being married to someone that's ungodly, and he's asking you to participate in sin, you should submit to God instead. Don't let your, your conscience be violated and, and your faith be violated. But instead, submit yourself to God. And you can still be a godly wife who is submission, in submission to her husband and winning him over with the way you live. The conversation is your conduct, your way of life. That will make a huge impact and can make a huge impact on, on your husband and and. And not every situation is cut and dry, I know. And, and I don't mean to, to say there's this one-size-fits-all approach, but at the very least, if you live 
right and are a godly woman that will make an influence. And at the end of the day, if you make the right choices, that will be a benefit to you. And it's important for a woman to understand this because you are created to be a helper for your husband. It's not slavery. Again, the submission that you submit yourself to willingly is not slavery, but it's a very important position to be in as a helper to her husband, as God made in Genesis 8 to 18. That it was not good for man to be alone, and he made, a, he made Eve to complete him, a, someone who was a help that was suitable for him, that was help, uh, that was a suitable companion that, for Adam. And you, as a wife, are a suitable companion that completes your husband. And you both, together, are, are reflecting and bearing the image of God. And you need to know the great influence that you have on your husband, because you can either be a great helper to help your husband uh, thrive in righteousness and holiness, or you can be a great hindrance to your husband. I mean, think about Eve. The serpent came to her. He got her to eat the fruit, and she took it to her husband, and he ate with her. And so she influenced Adam to fall. And I think that shows us the great influence that a wife can have over her husband. Because if we're the kind of husband that loves and cherishes and cares for our wife, it's going to be hard for us to say no, because we want to please our wives. We care them. We want to give them what they need. And if and that can be taken to an extreme extent, uh, an extreme extent in the negative. When we look at things like First Kings chapter twenty-one, verse twenty-five. First Kings twenty-one, verse twenty-five talks about Ahab. He says there was no one like Ahab who did sell himself to work wickedness in the sight of the Lord. And why did Ahab do that? His wife Jezebel stirred him up to do that. This is a this is a worse practice example. This is what we should strive not to be like. But Jezebel stirred him up. She used her influence to evil and caused him to co commit very great wickedness in the sight of the Lord. And wives, you have that potential to influence your husband to do great wickedness or to do great righteousness. And so do you want to help your husband? Ask yourself those same questions that, that he might need to ask about you. Is he overwhelmed? Guys don't like to talk about their feelings sometimes, but guys get overwhelmed too. Be a great helper by making home a safe and a peaceful environment for your husband. Don't, as soon as he walks in the door, start bombarding him with your to-do list and all the things that you need and all the things that you want and all the things you're upset about and what's going wrong. And Because you're just overwhelming him more and making it an unsafe place to be and, and not a desirable place to be. Who wants to go home to that? Make home a safe and, and comfortable, peaceful environment where he can come in and just breathe and just be there with his family and, and doesn't feel like he has to withdraw himself. Ask your question of his, of his loneliness. Is he lonely? Because again, you could be sitting five feet apart but be a thousand miles away from each other. Help and be a, be a great helper to your husband by finding out how to help him open up, how to help him talk to you, and, and emotionally connect with him because he's starving for connection just as much as you might be. Don't get defensive when he does open up and tell you about the problems. Don't overreact and, and blow up on him when he shares his feelings because if that's the pattern that, that happens every time a man tries to open up to his wife, it's going to get to a point where you're, you, I mean, you're teaching him to shut down and not come to you. If you can't respond in a, a mature way, you can't respond in a, in a good way to what your husband is sharing with you, and he will shut down and withdraw from you. Is he feeling disrespected? I think that's a good question that a wife should ask. Help your husband and be a great helper by acknowledging that he is the leader of your home. And this is hard to say and hard to hear, I'm sure, but stop trying to be the leader of your home. Stop trying to be in control. Ask yourself, are, are the behaviors that I have in my life, are they making him withdraw? Are they making it more difficult for him to lead? Or am I complaining so much that I'm diminishing him by making him feel like everything is his fault? These are real things that, that happen, real type of scenarios that, that maybe you maybe are resonating with you.
Is your husband weak spiritually? Sisters, you can be a great help to your husband by praying for him and being a steady example, as we read about in 1 Peter. Win him over with your conduct. Show him a steady example of godliness and holiness and influence him by your conduct to do what is good. Help him in that way. Be a great helper. Do what God has designed you to be and help your husband. What you do as a wife should be rooted in this idea of encouraging and influencing him to live in holiness. And that means you need to submit yourself to holiness too. The best kind of helpers, uh, to be the best kind of helpers, you ought to be the best kind of person in submitting themselves to God in the first place. Titus chapter 2, verse 3 through 5, he says, The aged women likewise, that they be in behavior as become as holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, to be chaste, pure and, and modest, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. Live in subjection to the word of God and be holy. These aren't commandments that are designed to cause you grief or to devalue you as a woman. These are commandments that are designed by God to help you and to show you how women can embody godliness and live up to what God has created you to be. And if these commandments bother you, it might be worth being curious about that feeling and asking yourself, why? Why do I feel that way? Why, why am I bothered by the fact that God asks me to be submissive and God asks me to be holy and God asks me to be this quality of woman in, in, in life? And if the reason is because you don't like the idea of submitting in general, well, that's an area to put focus on and put some work into and, and start understanding so that you can start changing that. But understand that these commandments are not designed to belittle women or to diminish them or to devalue them. In fact, it's the opposite. It's meant to uphold them and lift them up in honor and lift them up in, in the value that God wants them to have in their life. And it's true value. Bring glory to your marriage because a wife that is submitting herself to godliness and influencing her husband to good and being the kind of a helper that is suitable for her husband and is helping him thrive will make an environment where it helps him to thrive and help, and he'll help you thrive. And you ought to be helping and, and showing this because it's of great glory. Proverbs 20, 12 verse 4 says, A virtuous woman is a crown to her husband, but he that maketh, she that maketh ashamed is as rottenness in his bones. It's a good thing when you have a good wife and you're proud to show that off. But if you're not the good kind of wife, that is encouraging him to godliness and is instead making life more miserable for him, it's like rottenness in his bones. And it hurts and it's painful and it's shameful. And it's that deep because you are bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh. So I encourage husbands and wives both to understand the great serious responsibility you have to help each other be image bearers of God's glory. And why is it so important for Christians to understand this as leaders in the church. It's because, here's the why, and, and when we're talking about marriage specifically, we are communicating something extremely important in our marriages as Christians. We ought to be showing off and showing others and teaching others the symbol of the relationship, uh, it's a symbol rather, of the relationship between Christ and his church, his bride. It's a relationship that's going to help teach people, it's going to influence people, it's going to guide other people. And what you're showing is the oneness of, of Christ in the church. Paul said this in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 30. He says, we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. He says this is a great mystery, but he, Paul, is talking using the illustration of a husband and wife to show the example of concerning Christ and the church. Your marriage is displaying the oneness of Christ and the church. That's why it's so important for a husband to do what he needs to do and a wife to do what she needs to do and together, working together in righteousness because you are showing the unity of the church. You are showing a model and a picture of love and sacrifice towards one another. Jesus had so much love and faithfulness to his bride that he gave up his life. He died for her. 
Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, Husbands, love your wives even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. He poured himself out and into paying attention and being the provider for his bride and, and saw exactly what she needed, and that is salvation from sins, and went about to work to go and provide those things and made arrangements and put focus on and put energy in providing that salvation that, his, that the bride so desperately needed. And he did everything to help and support in a loving, in a kind, in a meek, in a gentle way. Although being in the position of Lord, he wasn't a, a cruel Lord over his bride and made her a slave. He invites her into a new life and invites us to live in, in newness of life after he's washed us of our sins and cleansed us and made us part of his glory. And the picture of submission that we show towards one another, because yes, husbands, you, we need to show that example of submission too, it's not because we're slaves, it's because we're showing faithfulness to, towards Christ and the church. It's like the church is subject to Christ. We as men are subject to Christ. Women should be in subjection to their husband. And all the way down, we're showing this example of, of honor and respect and treating each other with kindness and with love and lifting each other up. Because he says in Ephesians 5.24, Therefore, as, as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. And men... That means you need to be the kind of man that respects that submission and treats her with honor. Not using that as some uh, way to inflate your pride and your ego and say, yeah, she's, yeah, she better submit. No, it's look at what she's doing. She's willingly placing herself under, under my leadership and I've in this responsibility, so you better take care of that. You better do it the way Christ did. Look at the way he submitted himself the way that he gave himself up for his bride and be that kind of leader. And wives, look at the church and the way we're supposed to submit ourselves and to change our lives and to change our behaviors so that we can follow our leader, Christ, and be that kind of model. Have that kind of respect in your, in your life, in your marriage, as a husband and wife. And again, stay spiritually focused. A godly man and a godly wife should do all things in view of we're, we're working together to make it to heaven because we're heirs together of the grace of life. And you as a man, as a husband, should be leading your, your wife to heaven the same way Christ is trying to lead the church to heaven. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 26 says that Christ did all these things, and he gave himself for his bride, and he died for her, so that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. He looks at his bride and he does all these things to cleanse and to purify, to help her increase in godliness, to help us increase in holiness. And men, that should be our focus. Have a spiritual focus in your family, in your life, and help your bride be holy. Help your wife into glory and bring her honor and help her to increase in these ways. You're showing something really important. And we need to understand that because we carry that into leadership. If you have a godly marriage and you're modeling and communicating something, this, this great relationship between Christ and the church, uh, that's, that's a great blessing that you ought to really take seriously. But if you aren't the kind of husband that can take care of his bride, that can take care of your own bride, how in the world can you be qualified to care for the bride of Christ? And the answer is you can't be. You will not be a good leader of a congregation as an elder or even as a deacon if you cannot take care of your own bride and be the kind of husband that you need to be. And so it is extremely important for the leadership of this congregation, for all of us as men, as husbands, to be the kind of men we need to be. Don't shrug this off. Don't get, don't get upset and, oh, I don't need to do those things and I don't want to do those things. Submit yourself to, to Christ and, and start becoming this, this kind of man if you're not. You know, the world has a lot of ideas. Um, as Seth mentioned in his prayers, there's a, there's a, a, in our culture, there's a lot of things happening to influence us to do evil. There's a lot of wor ideas, worldly ideas about what marriage is supposed to be, and those ideas are wrong. Just, they just are. I mean, I've heard the most insane ideas and, and advice for marriages uh, out in the world, but the scriptures hold for us the true ideal. This is the true 
method and thing we ought to do. The true ideal is love and is submission and putting our desires aside and loving and caring and protecting and serving our wives and our wives doing the same towards us and in the way she helps us. And we're serving one another and we're serving other people doing that together and living as one. That's what a real husband should do. That is what a real wife should do if you are a Christian in the church. Um, and these are the kind of traits, again, that a man is going to carry with him into the leadership of the church. I hope the lesson has been insightful for you this morning, and I, I hope that uh, if these things resonate with you, men, brothers, it's time to ask for some help. It's time to, to be vulnerable. It's time to let your guard down. It's time to ask your brothers in Christ for help. We are here to encourage you and to help you because we're just trying to be this, this kind of man. I, I hope that you want me to be that kind of man, and I, I want you to be that kind of man. And we can encourage each other in this way and be here for one another. Or if you're a wife this morning, understand that there are not, not just your brothers, but your sisters as well care about you being a godly wife to your husband. We want to encourage each other in these ways and pray for one another. If you need prayers from the church and you need help and you're struggling, and this resonates with you, do not let Satan hold you back. Do not let your own self be held back. Don't, don't let some kind of uh, pressure or fear hold you back. But instead, let go of that. Have courage, and, and we, can, we can talk and we can pray. Uh, and if you're here this morning and, and haven't heard about Christ and the message, there's so much more that we could say. But understand that Christ died for you to be a part of his bride because he wants you to be saved. He wants you to be cleansed. He wants you to be holy. He wants you to be whole. That's what he's living for and, and what he wants you to live for. And if you would like to be baptized into Christ, you're ready to lay down your sins and embrace a new life in Christ, we're here to help with that too. If, if you have any questions, you have any prayers, you have concerns that you need help with, we invite you to come forward as we stand and sing. We hope you enjoyed this teaching from God's Word. If there's anything we can do to help you in your walk with Christ, send us a message at facebook.com slash cfcnwa. To find more sermons, look for us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and like our Facebook page. Thanks for listening, and God bless.